Today, we are looking at our second week in the sermon series, Multiply. Last week, we were thinking about the Great Commission. Joel did a fantastic job helping us think through that. Today, we're thinking about what it means for us to share Jesus with the people around us. So we're going to be thinking a little bit about evangelism. So in your Bibles, if you could turn to Acts chapter 8, we're going to be reading from verses 26 through to 40 together, Acts 8, 26 to 40. As we're doing this, with the person sat next to you, could you share the name of three people in your life that you would love to come to know Jesus? So just do that for a minute or two while you, while you flip to the Bible passage. Three people in your life that you would love to come to know Jesus. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. And while we do that, three people that you'd love to come to know Jesus. Okay, keep those three names in mind as we go through these verses and as we explore them together. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way from me being baptized? And he gave orders to the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as Azotus and appeared and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. So our passion here at St. Thomas's is to imitate the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, just a little quote about this from a fantastic theologian, John Wimber, who influenced lots of and the charismatic church all over the world. He said this, our passion is to imitate the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. This requires that we must follow Jesus out of baptismal waters, through our personal deserts and into the harvest. We want to take the ammunition of the balanced evangelical theology with the fire of Pentecostal practice, loading and readying the best of both worlds to hit the target of making and nurturing disciples. 
Now, that's what we want to do here at St. Thomas's. We want to imitate the very life of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means talking about the good news about Jesus. Now, just to set the scene to where we meet Philip and this Ethiopian official in Acts chapter 8, the streets of Jerusalem have been bustling ever since the day of Pentecost and they have been filled with whispers of the miraculous, of a man who's been raised from the dead and not only that, but this man claimed to be God. People are being miraculously healed. People are finding new life through the name of Jesus Christ. But there are also the murmurs of opposition. People not liking these people who are finding new life in Jesus. And this fledgling community of Christians has been ignited by the flames of Pentecost. In other words, it's been ignited by the power and presence of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this fledgling community that were just a handful of people that were hiding scared in an upper room are suddenly out all over the place talking about Jesus and nobody can stop them. Even when opposition comes and people try and shut them down, people keep, they keep talking the name of Jesus. Even though some of them are thinking, well, well this happened to us. People are being killed. People are being persecuted for following Jesus. And they're probably thinking, is this going to happen to us as well? Do we keep quiet or do we keep talking about Jesus? What we see in the book of Acts is that persecution and adversity has a way of scattering the gospel even further. So as persecution sweeps through Jerusalem, Christians are forced to flee and their feet carry them to all different kinds of towns and places. And among them is a man called Philip, who's a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And he gets flung out as far as Samaria. Now, remember the passage that Joel spoke on last week, the Great Commission. Jesus told the disciples to go and teach everyone to obey the things that he taught them and to baptise people in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, do that in Jerusalem, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Philip is already at Samaria talking about Jesus. Now in Samaria, Philip's talking about Jesus explodes like wildfire. Signs and wonders follow him every sing everywhere that he moves. And as he boldly proclaims the name of Jesus, Samaritans, who were once completely estranged, the Jews would have nothing to do with them. They were seen as a heretical cult on the edge of society. Suddenly they're finding hope and redemption. And they've heard whispers about this before because a man called Jesus met a Samaritan woman by a well at the beginning of John's gospel. And she was telling them all about this person, Jesus Christ. Now, as the flames of revival ripple around Samaria, the spirit of the Lord whispers a new directive to Philip. Go south. And so Philip does that. And he starts on the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, where he meets a man, an Ethiopian government official, who will hear the gospel and it will change the course of history for an entire continent. So today we're going to look at how we can share Jesus with the people around us. And as we look at this, we need to remember all that Joel shared last week. The Great Commission is just that. 
It's a commission, not a suggestion. All of us are called to participate in it. All of us are called to talk about Jesus, whether we consider ourselves evangelists or not. We are all called to share in the ministry of speaking about Jesus. So we're going to look at a few different things as we go through the passage together today. The first verses that we're going to look at are verses 26 through to 29. And what I want us to think about here is sensitive to the sensitivity to the Spirit's leading in evangelism. So how we're sensitive or should be sensitive to the ministry of the Spirit. So I want us just again, I know I've painted a picture already, but I want us just to picture the scene. Philip who cannot be stopped from talking about Jesus, is busy going from village to village to village all across Samaria. Peter and John, who he's been travelling with, have gone back to Jerusalem, and it would have been very tempting for Philip to go back there as well. But he hears a whisper from an angel of the Lord who says, go south. And Philip obeys, and as I've already said, it begins a journey that will shape and change the course of history. Africa, Northern Africa, was one of the first places to see a real move of God. Lots of, far, lots of fathers of the church, like St. Augustine, they, lots of these guys are coming from North Africa. Now, Gaza was the gateway to the African continent. And in some ways, we still see that a little bit today, don't we? It's a crossroad, it was a crossroads of culture and civilizations. It was the way to get from Israel to Egypt and therefore to the rest of Africa. And on his way to Gaza, Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this person is the treasurer for the Queen of Kandake, who is the queen of all the Ethiopians. And this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, has gone to Jerusalem to worship. We can assume that he's Jewish. We don't know whether he's Jewish by birth or he's a convert, but he's reading the Bible on his way home from worship. I don't know how many of us do that on the way home from worship. We just get out the Bible and keep reading it. Philip has his ears open to the voice of the Lord and he hears the Spirit of the Lord say to him, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, what I would love for us, one of the things I'd love us to learn today is for us to learn to listen to the whisper of the Lord and to the voice of the Lord and to the leading of the power of the Holy Spirit in our evangelism and talking about Jesus. If this passage teaches us anything about sharing Jesus, it teaches us this, that it must start with the power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said, you don't have to advertise a church on fire. Now that is what was happening in the New Testament. In those first books, in, the, in those first chapters of the book of Acts, the people of God were set on fire when Pentecost happened. They didn't have to advertise it. People were just drawn to them because they were burning with a passion for Jesus. Now, church, it is very difficult for us to share what we do not have. The life of God, the power of God is marked in us by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is why, for those of you that say Anglican morning prayer every day, and if you don't, I'd really encourage you to start. It's a fantastic discipline. You can just download the Church of England Daily Prayer app. Um, it's totally free from, your, from the Google Play or Apple equivalent, whatever that is. You can download it. It's 
Brilliant. Now, in Anglican morning prayer, every single morning there's a prayer, and it starts like this. As we rejoice in the gift of this new day, so may the light of your presence, O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you. Now, I've prayed that pretty much every day of my life for, well, since I was 18, probably. Unless we are aware of the presence of God by his spirit, unless our hearts are on fire with love for him, it's going to be difficult to share the life of God with others. We can only give away what we ourselves have. Sometimes when I get in from work, I do most of the cooking in our house. Sometimes when I get in from work and I'm about to cook something, Ellie will suddenly declare that she wants a particular dish, like she wants this or she wants that, and she's got a particular craving for this. Now, it's very difficult for me to cook that thing unless I have the actual ingredients in the house and to hand. If I don't, I cannot make it. It's impossible. Now, imagine... Imagine that, but with the life of God and the life of the Spirit. Unless we have the power and presence of God, it's very difficult for us to talk about God with other people. Unless we have an experience and a revelation of the Father's heart for us, it's very difficult for us to talk about that with other people. Now imagine this. You're having coffee at the end of church and you are being served by the lovely Nick, who is on refreshments today, with or Roxanne, who's also on refreshments today. And you're in the line to get your coffee. And just as Nick pours you a wonderful cup of coffee, you turn around and somebody walks straight into you um, because you're on your way to catch up with somebody from Life Group. And um, as that somebody walks into you, coffee goes everywhere. Coffee just, there's a coffee mess everywhere. Now, why did you spill your coffee? Was it because somebody, well, why did you spill coffee in particular? Was it because somebody bumped into you or, because, or was it because coffee was the thing that was in your cup? In life, bumps and problems are inevitable. How we react depends on what's inside us. If we're filled with anger and somebody bumps into us, anger will come out. If we're filled with bitterness and somebody bumps into us, bitterness is the thing that will come out. However, if we're filled with the power and presence of God, if we're filled with peace and with joy, when somebody bumps into us, guess what? The thing that is going to come out of us is peace and joy. That will be the thing that overflows from us when we are bumped into. So a question for you today as we think about sharing Jesus What is it that you will pray for your cup to be filled with? What is it that you want your cup to be filled with? Now, I suggest that the best thing that we can do today as we talk about sharing Jesus is for us to pray, come Holy Spirit of God. And then when we meet people or bump into them in the street or when we sit next to a colleague at work or when we sat next to somebody at school or in a lecture theatre, what will spill out of us will be the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, Philip was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. We can see that just by tracking the journey of the New Testament church in the previous um, chapters of the book of Acts. It's exploding, as I've already said, from a handful of scared Christians 
who've locked themselves in an upper room to now the gospel and the church is spreading even all over Samaria. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you that follow me on social media, you may have noticed that for the last nine or 10 days or so, I've been quoting a different quote from David Watson every single day. Um, I keep rereading his chapter in his fantastic book on discipleship on the Holy Spirit. And there's so much good stuff in there. And in it, I'll just read you a few things. Um, he says this about the church. The church is like an equestrian statue. In other words, a statue of a horse. The front legs are lifted up and ready to leap forward. Every muscle of the back legs is standing out and throbbing with life. As you look at the statue, you expect it to spring forward at any moment. Unfortunately, when you come back 20 years later, it has not moved a fraction of an inch. Yet, look at the early church 20 years after the outpouring of the Spirit. They had moved forward by an astonishing leaps and bounds. And there was one simple reason. The power of the Spirit. Inward power. The answer, said Jesus, is that we must ask our Heavenly Father for it. Do we ask every single day for the leading and filling of the Spirit? If we don't, we're always going to play it safe and we're never going to talk to anybody about Jesus. Now, it may be that as, we think, as we're thinking about talking about Jesus, you think, gosh, this isn't for me. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a vicar. I'm not Nicky Gumbel. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not a tele-evangelist. I'm just going to leave that to somebody else. But as Joel said last week, this is for all of us. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Most, I want to say that most of the disciples probably didn't want to talk about Jesus either. They were absolutely petrified. How did God take a ramshackle group of people that were absolutely petrified and scared and see the moves of God that we read about in the book of Acts? Even though they were scared and daunted and unarticulate, one reason, the power and presence of God was with them. David Watson also said this, we need urgently to recapture the vision of living daringly from the Lord, throwing ourselves totally upon the power of, spirit, power of his spirit, without whom we are nothing. This is the greatest and most pressing need of the church today. Everything else we do is like trying to sail a boat when the tide is out and the wind is still. Is that how it feels for you sometimes? You're trying to sail, but the tide is out and the wind is still. We need the power and presence of God. John Wimber, again, said this. Whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. We are the first partakers of the fruit, we are not to, but we are not to eat the seed. We are to sow it and to give it away. Whatever God wants to do through us, he first has to do to us. That's why healed people heal people. Because when healing comes into your life, you can't help but bring and you know, share the goodness of God with those around you. Let me just tell you um, a story about the leading of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. Um, some of you will know this story. I was once sat, when I was training to be a vicar, this would be... 
12, 13 years ago now, I was trained to be a vicar at Ridley Hall and I was in a clergy tax lecture. Um, it wasn't the most riveting of lectures. Um, no offence to those of you that deal with tax and accountancy and all those types of things. It's a wonderful thing. But I was in this tax, clergy tax lecture and they you know, teach you how to fill in your clergy tax forms and all, all of these types of things. And I can remember sitting in this lecture and I felt the Lord say to me, you need to go outside and there's somebody, in, you, you need to go and share the gospel with some, with, with some. I just had a sense that I had to go and share the gospel with somebody on the street. And I thought, I'm thinking that because this is a really boring lecture. And I love talking about Jesus and I'm just inventing a way to get out of this. Um, about five minutes later, I had a sense that I needed to go outside and on Ridley Hall Road, there'd be a woman and that I was to talk to her about Jesus. And the same thought passed through my head. I'm only thinking this because this is really dull. And then um, the lecture moved on to how you can claim, you know, you can claim back for tea bags and the tax back on tea bags and fairy liquid. And, you know, not, I've never done, done that once. And then I had a sense, there's a lady on the street uh, on Ridley Hall Road. She's not seen her son in 10 years and she's come to Cambridge to see her son. You need to go and talk to her about, you need to go and talk to her about Jesus. And that's a pretty specific word. So I got out from my chair, walked across the croquet lawn to Cambridge, through the, arch, through the archway, and there on the road was a, was a woman. Now, I walked up to her and said, um, hello, my name's Ben, you can trust me, I'm training to be a vicar. <laughs> um, I just wonder if you've not seen your, if you've not seen your um, son in... 10 years and you've come to Cambridge and you're seeing him tomorrow. And this woman just burst into tears. And the reason that she'd come to Cambridge was to see her son, who she'd not seen in a decade, and she was seeing him the next day. Now, that lady gave her life to Jesus. Um, and she, it, I, I can't explain it other than there was just this prompting from the Holy Spirit. And I just had this compulsion to go and do what it was that I felt like I had to do. It was the Holy Spirit that did it. I was just the instrument. The same was true for Philip. He heard the word go south and he went south. We need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, secondly, we need to proclaim the gospel. This is verses 30 through to 35. Now evangelism, talking about Jesus, is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Now, you get a sense from this passage about Philip's excitement about talking about Jesus, don't you? Philip is, um, Philip is on this road and he's, uh, and he's running up to the chariot after hearing this command to go south. And you can, almost, you can almost sense in the passage he's trying to chase up with this chariot just so that he can talk to this Ethiopian official about Jesus. And when he catches up with the chariot, this man is reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And Philip can't help himself. Um, he, just, he just says to this guy, he shouts out, I presume as the carriage is moving along and Philip's trying to keep up with it, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch replies, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Now these words from the Ethiopian official should ring loud and clear in our ears today. How can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Paul, in Romans, Romans chapter 10, would put it like this. How will they believe in him if they have not heard? How, they, how will they hear unless they're told? How can they be told unless people are sent? 
Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How will our friends hear about Jesus unless we tell them about Jesus? How will they hear the gospel unless we proclaim the gospel to them? Do you know that you might be the only Christian that some of your friends ever meet? You may be the only opportunity that they ever have to hear about Jesus. We're to take that opportunity and to speak about the good news of Jesus. This is exactly what Philip begins to do. Look at verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now church, we're to proclaim boldly the good news about Jesus, trusting in the power of God, as Joel said last week, to do the transformation and to transform lives. It's not our job to do the saving. It's, jobs, it, it's God's job to do that. But it is our job to speak about Jesus. Now, this is why I thought it was actually pretty fantastic. Last week, when Joel was sharing about the Great Commission, he shared um, every story that he shared. I don't know if you um, remember, but every single story he shared ended up with no one giving their life to Jesus at, at all. Um, and that was absolutely fine because it's our job to do the sowing and to do the speaking. It's God's job to do the saving. We're to sow, we're to leave the rest up to God. Now, every single week, I get multiple opportunities to talk to people about Jesus because um, the church is open every working day of the, of the week and the staff take it in turns to, to man the church down here. And people, there's a constant flow of people coming in and talking about, talking about Jesus. Often, I think I'm onto a, re a real winner. I've explained the gospel really well. It usually starts with what's that hole in the floor and I talk to them about baptism and baptism is an amazing picture of the gospel. And we start talking about the cross and often I think this is it. This person's gonna meet Jesus. Their life's gonna be transformed. This happened just last week. And I said to this person, do you wanna give your life to Jesus? No, thanks, mate. I'm off to catch the bus. Now, in some ways that's disappointing for me because I love to see people come to know Jesus. But on another level, it's absolutely fine. Because it's my job to do the declaration, to speak about Jesus, God does the rest. Now, one really good model for us to talk about Jesus is just for us to use the Bible, just like Philip does with the Ethiopian eunuch. Here. Now, it helped that he already had the Bible open in front of him. But reading the Bible with people is one of the most effective methods of talking about Jesus, I think. When I was a university student, um, I lived on, in my first year with a flat of 14 guys. Um, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Fant fantastic year of my life. Um, I lived in halls of residence with 900 other students. It was an, it was an extrovert's dream. And uh, one of my favorite things to do was to talk to people about Jesus. Um, in, on my flat, every, all of the lads bar one would come to church with me whenever I asked. I got them all to do alpha with me in my first year, except one. Um, but none of, them, none of them became Christians. That's absolutely fine. It's a bit frustrating, really, because we saw, saw so many people from the rest of the halls of residence, all of the corridors become Christians, but no one on my own did. Um, anyway, um, the guy who, was, who I first met at university, who became my closest friend at uni, was the one guy who would never come to Alpha, never come to church, wouldn't, wouldn't, do any, wouldn't engage in anything. Um, in our third year, though, we, we lived together first year, second year, third year, and for three more years, after, two more years, three more years after that, in third year, um, 
he basically had this medical condition from which he could, there was n- n- no doctor who had been able to sort it out. It was really frustrating for him. And one day I just said, do you want me to pray for you? And he said, no, you can if you want. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you right now. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and prayed that this thing would disappear in the name of Jesus. He didn't have it again. Now that'll, that'll, you know, that'll get you interested. But he still wasn't a Christian, which I was amazed at. So what happened was I went down to the city centre where there used to be a Christian bookshop and I bought him the Espresso Bible. Now this was a Bible that you could read allegedly in 90 minutes. I wouldn't recommend you actually go and buy this thing. No offence to the publishers. Um, But I did go and buy him it and I brought it home and he devoured the thing. He literally read the thing in about half an hour. So the very next day I had to go back down to West Street and I bought a big black leather, you know, big black Bible. And I gave him it and I said, start, start with um, Matthew. So he started with Matthew. This was Wednesday. By the time we got to the weekend, he'd read the entire New Testament. Now, how many of you, this guy wasn't even saved. How many of, you, how many of us have done that? He came to church for the first time that Sunday and he gave his life to Jesus. All because of the power of Scripture. I, in some ways, I didn't do anything. All I did was pray a very simple prayer which the Holy Spirit answered. He read the Bible, God did the rest. Scripture, when we meet the written word, when we read the written word, we often meet the living word, Jesus Christ, through it. It's amazing how many people have stories of being ill in hospital and finding a New Testament in the drawer next to them and they read it and they meet Jesus. Or people do that in prison or in hotel rooms or wherever it might be. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, does have the power to transform lives. Now, I'd been praying for Rick for, since I'd met him that he would come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. My parents had been praying for him that, he would also, that, that Rick had come to know Jesus. Lots of people had been praying for him. That when he got baptised, which was a week after his first Sunday, there were so many people there. who'd been. The church was absolutely rammed with people who'd been praying that he would come to know Jesus. The power of prayer, the power of the written word, and just a simple invitation to come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's why it's so important to pray. Now, what is it that we're sharing? Well, we're sharing what Philip shared. We're just sharing the good news of Jesus, the wonder of the cross, that God himself would love us so much that he would become man, live a life that we couldn't live, die a death that we should have died and take everything that was wrong with us on himself and rise to new life so that we could be free and and that we too could know new life. The gospel, Tim Keller said, is this, that we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And at the very same time, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Now, for my money, the gospel is a completely unbeatable story. It is unbeatable that God himself would love us so much that he would, that Jesus would give up his throne in heaven and come to earth and be born in a, born in a manger for me and you that he would live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we should have died so that we can know eternal life. I mean, it's an unbeatable story. There's never been one written that's better and it is completely captivating. But sometimes we run a little bit scared from it, don't we? Oh, if we talk about Jesus, then people are going to think we're a bit weird. Well, people are doing healing crystals and all kinds of things that are much bit more bizarre if you ask me. When we talk about Jesus, I find that people are captivated. Sometimes when we talk about the church, people are a little bit put off. And we've got some work to do on that. But Jesus is captivating. 
Okay, I'm running out of time. Point three, we need to invite people to respond. Now, sometimes this will happen itself. Um, Philip um, doesn't really have to do much in this passage at all. The Ethiopian eunuch hears the good news of Jesus. Presumably, Philip has shared it pretty extensively because they've even got onto baptism. And uh, Philip sees a puddle of water and he says, uh, he sees this, sees this water, a puddle or a lake, or I don't know what it was, but this pool of water and says, what's, there's some water, what's to prevent me from being baptised? Now that's exactly why we built a, a baptistry right in the middle of this church so that people would walk in, we could sell the, share the gospel with them and they could say, um, well, there, there's a baptism pool, what's to prevent me from being baptised? Now this happened very recently, again, while I was doing open church, a whole family had come in. It was during half term and there was three kids in this one family and they wanted to ask me what the, what the pool was. So I was telling them about baptism. I showed them some videos of some kids being baptised here and I talk, told them about Jesus and they turned to their dad and said, can we get baptised? What's to prevent me from being baptised? Um, now, Philip just gets on with it and does it right there. And then, by the way, if you're not baptised or you've got little people with you that aren't baptised, come and talk to us because we'd love to talk to you about baptising you and your children as soon as possible. Um, Philip's invitation to the Ethiopian eunuch to respond to the gospel by being baptised was answered right there and then. Now, we need to issue some kind of, you know, some kind of invitation for people to respond, just like people did in the gospels. So the Samaritan woman who Jesus met at the well she went back to her village and said, do you want to come and meet somebody who's told me everything I've ever done? Now we can say that. We've all got a story of Jesus meeting with us. We've all got a testimony. You can share that. And you can say, do you want to come and meet the man who told me everything about me? Do you want to come and meet the one who gave their life for me so that I could be free? The worst that people can say is no. That's the worst they can say. The worst they can say is No. I just want to say something just to end um, on the power of prayer. It's really important that we pray for people that we're wanting to see come to know Jesus. Um, I've talked about that a little bit already and I don't have much time to talk about this because I'm out of time, but let me just tell you this one story. D.L. Moody, who was a great Christian leader, prayed for 100 of his friends to come to know Jesus. During his life, 96 of them did come to know Jesus. But four of them didn't. At his funeral, those four friends gave their lives to Jesus in, in, that, in that service. Now, he was a man who was committed to praying that all of his friends might come to know Jesus. Now, imagine if all of us were praying for a hundred people. Um, there are many, many people on our church database. Um, there's about 400 people that come regularly on a Sunday. And um, if we were all praying for 100 people, that'd be 400,000 people that would be, pray that would be prayed for across the city. Now, the metro area of Newcastle is just under a million. So that's nearly half of the, of the metro area that, that we live in. Imagine if we were praying for them and even just 10% of them came to know Jesus. Well, that's 40,000. Have I done the maths right there? Someone, someone give me a nod. I'm rubbish with maths. Now, haven't, Phil. 4,000. Sorry, thank you. It's not my strong point. It's not my strong point. But you see the point, if we're praying for people to come, if we're praying for people to come to know Jesus, and even just God saves a few of them, 
we're going to see many people come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So back to the question that I started with at the beginning, just three. Which three people are you praying for today that would come to know Jesus? Are you praying for opportunities to share the gospel? And most importantly of all, this is where I spent most of my time this morning, we praying to be filled with the power and presence of God because it's him that does it. It's him in us that sees people come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to respond together as the band come up.